What's up, guys? Episode number 74 of the Hellabass Bass Fishing Podcast. This week, we sit down with Minnesota slash Wisconsin's own Bob Downey, Bassmaster Elite Series Pro, talking about the big jump from his rookie season to his sophomore season and what he's looking forward to going to Northern Swing, trying to make next year's 2022 Bassmaster Classic at Lake Hartwell. Some good nuggets on mega live imaging as well. Listen to the whole show. I'm sure you're going to learn something. As always, we're here to help you guys catch more, more big bass and suck less. This week, the Hell of Ass Bass Fishing Podcast is brought to you by Arsenal Fishing. Arsenal Fishing offers premium custom-made performance apparel and tackle. Arsenal delivers a wide variety of custom-designed baits, accessories, and tools, along with unique utilitarian apparel for all outdoor enthusiasts. As part of their support, you can use code HELLABASS15 to save 15% on all purchases at arsenalfishing.com to support the show. Now let's get back to helping you catch more bass and suck less. It's good. All right. Welcome to another Wednesday night HELLABASS Live. Tonight, we got Bassmaster Elite Series Rapala Pro sophomore season Bob Downey. What's up, Bob? How are you doing tonight? I'm good. Doing good, Rich. Thanks for having me on. I think is right about this time of year last year. I think July-ish that, yeah, I was on with you, so it's good to be back. And uh, I think you're a good luck last year. I had, like, my two best finishes of the year after we talked, so hopefully that'll be the case this year. Well, there you go. That's what we need. I mean, that, that's, <laughs> that's what you need right now. We'll talk more about that a little bit later for sure. Um, hey, everybody in the chat. Let us know how does Bob sound, how's the video, how we both sound, um, so we don't get too far in. Let's make sure everything sounds and looks good. What's up, Bo? Chad Eddings in the house. What's going on, buddy? So, um, David says we look and sound good on Facebook, so I assume YouTube is just as good. Cool. Yeah, so you're officially the first time... Or the first, second Bassmaster or repeat Bassmaster Lead Series guests. Oh, nice! What an honor! There you go. <laughs> yeah, last year I think it was like early August, but it was like after the fourth tournament. Or yeah. I think, last year, mm-hmm. so it was last year was a really uh, <clears throat> weird season. Yeah. Um, what's up, John Wood? Hey, good John. Thanks, John. Um. And we were talking about a lot about last year about like, hey, what's it like to be a rookie? And, you know, are, you know, are the guys super accepting? And we kind of talked through all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I think tonight we'll talk a little bit more about like how this season's gone. What did you learn last year? You had some really good finishes down the stretch. And, uh, you know, how, what's, what's the biggest adjustment or the biggest learnings or, you know, what has helped about going into year two and things like that. And then kind of talk about how the season's going to finish. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I guess what's uh what's the biggest thing you think like going into year two, kind of how you went to handling school in your first year? What's the like what were the, what was the biggest thing do you think that like having a year under your belt going into year two? Uh, just getting more comfortable, you know, competing against those guys. I mean, it, even though I've been fishing tournaments since I've been fourteen years old, you know, it's not like fishing tournaments is new to me but when you get to that level you can't really hide so much like you're you're in the public eye way more than any other tournament that you've ever been in and 
um, you know, the first couple of events that I could definitely feel that pressure. And now that you do it more and more, just like anything in life, you know, when you do things more and more, you just get more comfortable with the process. And you have, you know, having some good finishes gives you some confidence too, for sure. Um, but then when you bomb some tournaments, you wonder, mm-hmm. you know, what it can I hang with these guys or what am I doing with my life or is this a bad decision? You know, the, all those things run through your head too. Um, but really just get more comfortable with it. Like just the travel aspect. I traveled a decent amount in college and um, in the opens and stuff too, but you just learn, you know, more things to, to just make your time on the road a little bit easier and more enjoyable. And, um, the other thing I kind of went into this year just with try to have more of a, I wouldn't say a laid back attitude, but just like a, an attitude of really kind of enjoying the process and the ride a little bit more than last year and not getting so wigged out about everything. And cause they're going to make major cuts after this year. Cause they didn't cut anybody last year. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so it's still, I still could bomb these last two and not even be around next year. Um, I hope I don't. I would love to be able to continue to do this, but um, I didn't want to just like go through the year and and be stressed out about it and then all of a sudden it be done and I maybe didn't re-qualify and then you kind of just let your dream just pass you by sort of thing without really enjoying it as much. So I've tried to just kind of be a little more laid back with it this year. And at times it's been good you know it's definitely like going into neely henry after lake fork i was you know lake fork was my worst finish i've ever had on the elites and i was you know pretty much like no care attitude going into (laughs) and then you have you know a top 10 finish so it's kind of weird how that works in tournament fishing sometimes yeah for sure like obviously I've not fished the elite series, but like you, I've been fishing tournaments for a long time. And like you get on a little bit of a heater and you feel like every decision is the best decision in the world. You know, you mm-hmm. can just pick up a spinner bait or a chatter bait or a jig and flip it in there. And you feel like you're going to catch one. And yep. then you're like one bad day of practice away from thinking you're never going to catch a bass again. <laughs> it's really weird how that happens. And even like you try and be mentally strong through those times, but it's just amazing how you have a bad event and you just think, you know, you never want to fish a tournament again, but then you have a good one and you're kind of on, you know, riding that wave again. So it's just such a roller coaster ride as you know, how that, how that can be with tournament fishing. Yeah. Actually, I mean, like I just like, I've actually cashed a few checks this year and like, but I've missed winning a couple tournaments by now. Like, two tenths three tenths three ounces and like it's mm-hmm. it starts to grind on me like i'm thinking like am i just like a guy that doesn't win am i allergic to winning like am i just like a check mm-hmm. casher do i not win like it's just like it, yeah. it doesn't even matter even when you're doing well if you don't do even better then you even start to think like man am i just a top 40 guy do i never you know what i mean like it's like yeah i don't know yeah i think that's just maybe how tournament fishermen are wired at least the ones that are real driven like even if you win a tournament, you might still think about the fish you lost during that day. I didn't get big bass today. (laughs) Yeah. Right. So, so it's not a bad thing to kind of feel that way as long as we don't beat ourselves up too much about it. Cause I think you kind of need that edge to drive yourself to get better. Um, Mm -hmm. But I don't know. You just, 
there's a fine line there between beating yourself up too much and kind of making sure you keep that drive. Yeah, it's a good point, Bo. Sometimes you just got to be like Steph Curry and just keep throwing them up. Just yeah. keep taking those shots. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What's up, Tim? Sycamore DJ. Thanks, everybody, joining in. Um, what was I going to say? I had a thought. Oh, before we forget, thanks to Arsenal Fishing for supporting the stream, supporting the channel. Uh, awesome dudes, Dan Fabiano, and he actually was in my recent video. He fished this last tournament with me. So uh, make sure you guys check them out. Support uh, them, support the channel. Uh, I'll put the code up at the bottom, Halabass15. Get yourself some sun shirts, hats, swagger, some tactical minnows, lots of good stuff. Um, so don't forget about them. Enough of that. Uh, Doug wants to know, what's the number one thing you learned since joining the elites? Um, man, I mean, there's so many things, but you really – like I followed the sport about as close as anybody follows the sport for, you know, since my high school years. And uh, you really don't get a real good feel for how good these guys are until you actually compete against them like week to week. Um, I definitely like knew they were good and respected the fact that they were good, but it's really amazing how no matter what's going on, they figure it out and they don't even, a lot of times they don't just figure it out. They like smash them. I mean, like, on you fall last year when the cut was 17 pounds after day one. And I thought, you know, the cut would be 13, 14 pounds. And it's just, so that's been pretty eye opening. Um, you know, there's so many different things. I mean, it's, I've learned more and like growing as an angler more in the last two years than I probably have in the last 10, just cause they push you to be that much better. Um, and just really like really dial in your tackle and really be, you know, as honed into your craft as you possibly can. Cause if you're not, you're just going to get left in the dust. Yeah, for sure. And like, I am not good at keeping a train of thought tonight. <laughs> it's all good. <laughs> um, yeah, it's like drinking from a fire hose on the Elite Series, right? Like, I mean, you it go fun fish and you fish local tournaments. You're still learning all the time, but, mm -hmm. like, you're just jumping in the deep end, right? And it's like you either just get, you know, yeah. rolled in the current and swept away and by the, you know, the tide or you, you figure it out and you get better, right? Yeah. And that's what's, for me, I really enjoy that part. Like, that, that tells me, even after a bad tournament, if I'm still, like, hungry to continue to learn and get better that tells me like this is what i want to be doing still it's not like i really want i, I might think that i want to be done with tournament fishing like the day after a bad tournament but then a couple days go by and i'm like right back at it and hungry to learn and and get better at what i'm doing and so that's what is kind of cool about the elite series is you just you know that they push you to be better and if you have a passion for it and a drive for it. It's, you know, that part's fun actually. Yeah. Chad wants you to expand on the dialing in your tackle. What does that mean? Like what? what yeah. Kind of so, so, well, for an example, and a lot of people might think I'm nuts, but before I qualified for the elites, I didn't own a mega bass jerk bait or a jackhammer chatterbait or like, I just didn't, I didn't throw them up here. Like I threw them some, like jerk baits and like the knockoff brand chatter baits. And I didn't spend the money on like 
higher end tackle because I just didn't think I needed to. And up here, you can kind of get away with, you know, our largemouth fishing in our natural lakes. You know, you're not some of that stuff you don't necessarily need, but you start traveling the country and you, and when I like started using that tackle and started seeing the results, it's like, holy crap, I really need to be like paying attention to like that cutting edge or, or like the higher end stuff because it legitimately like it, it does work. Um, and like, and it comes down to split rings, treble hooks, like, you know, higher end hard baits, it really, what you guys see on tour, what, what guys are using is that stuff, it does really work. Like it's so like treble hooks is a big thing that I never, I, I would change them out occasionally, but I'm like religious with it now where it's, you know, I'm changing them out, it, you know, a couple times a day when I'm cranking or throwing a jerk bait or um, top water, that sort of thing. And I used to never do that back home in tournaments. Yeah, I'd maybe swap them out you know, before the season started and not really yeah, pay attention to Yeah, right. So that kind of stuff. Like last year on St. Clair, I was cracking a tube every day. And, you know, every every day I would swap out my jig head and my tube jig for a fresh hook, even though it probably didn't really need it. But it just kind of gives you the confidence that you're using, you know, tackle that is, you know, hundred percent like in good working condition and it, and it it's just like controlling all the variables right it's like paying attention to all those little details can definitely help and especially at that level where everybody's so good and it's such a fine line between like making the cut or missing it by a couple pounds you know sometimes that you know, changing out for a fresh treble might help you. Like last year on the St. Lawrence, I landed a five pound smallie on a spy bait and it literally had one treble hook like right in its snout. And I fought it for what felt like 10 minutes, but I ended up landing it. And I don't know if you'd land that fish on just a stock treble. That's, you know, maybe not as sticky sharp as some of them that are out there. Yeah. And sometimes it's even just like, not even necessarily like, more expensive stuff or the but sometimes it's even just like the right tool right because like yes. this past weekend i was practicing and i was throwing a different chatterbait in the spring the weird weed and grass on big stone that i was fishing the chatterbait or the blade jig i was throwing just wouldn't snap free mm-hmm. and just made this slight adjustment to a slightly different style and then i could yeah. rip it free and i could cover the water and i could be more efficient so it wasn't even like necessarily a more expensive chatterbait or even, but it was just a slightly different one. And that one ripped through the grass better. Now, if I would have been yeah. fishing wood or rocks or just, you know, it probably wouldn't have mattered, but for that, it took a specific bladed jig style. Um, yeah. Catch them. hundred yeah. percent. Yeah. That's a really good point. Like rods and the type of line you're using and like making sure your setup is right for what you're fishing and the cover you're fishing, um, you know, around here, you can, I mean, I had the same setups for years, but when I started traveling around the country and you're fishing different places and different, you know, styles of grass that we don't really have around here, you kind of got to switch some of that up and make sure that you, you are using the right rod and the right line and the right bait for the, for the job. And I bounce a lot of ideas off. I've got to know uh, Pat Schlapper or Schlapper pretty well this year. 
And if anybody, you know, Pat, he's just an absolute stud in this area. And um, I've learned a lot from him too, just on like the right setups. Not that like I didn't know what to do, but just to like kind of confirm or like swim jigs is a good example. Like it seems like people have different setups, quite a bit different setups for swim jigs, depending on like open water or in grass or deep or shallow. And so it's kind of nice to have someone to bounce ideas off of for that sort of stuff and just kind of compare notes anyways. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I mean, like, <laughs> you grow up in Minnesota and Wisconsin, you could probably just have, like, six, seven-foot medium heavies and fish everything on them. And, to be just and that's what I had. Yeah, <laughs> like, that's seriously what I had. And a few big, you know, longer rods for punching grass or, like, throwing frogs over mats. But, you know, I didn't crank. I cranked some shallow, but I didn't crank deep much outside of some rock every so often in the summer. So just all that, you know, you're learning kind of on the fly, like, throwing a shad wrap in 42 degree water on the Tennessee river and Fort Loudon. I'd never done that before. Right. Um, you know, so you never did that on pool two. Not, I haven't actually, have you caught him doing that? Smalling? Yeah. I've done some flat sides and things and on the river. Yeah. yeah. I had like, I did like one day. I remember a while back, but that was it. Not yeah. I mean, I'm not saying I've done it a ton, but like just, you know, every now and then you get ice out and the water's not flooded and, you know, it's just like, yeah. Um, yeah. So for the people that don't know you, Bob, where are you from? Like, yeah. So I grew up in Egan, Minnesota. So just south of St. Paul, Minneapolis, um, Twin Cities area of Minnesota. And now I live in Hudson, Wisconsin, which is only a half hour out of the Twin Cities. And grew up fishing around Metro Lakes and Northern Minnesota. And then after my college years, I really fished the Mississippi River quite a bit. So like for the last 10, 11 years, I've fished the river probably, probably more than I fished the Metro Lakes actually. Yeah, it's a, it's addicting. Like I started fishing a few BFLs down there and it was just a lot of fun to go down oh, there. Fun. I just wish I had more time to carve out. I'd love to fish the BFLs more. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. it's made me a better angler to be honest. Like it's just a totally different deal than fishing natural lakes. So I'm actually glad I've spent a lot of time down there. It's, I, unbeknownst to me at the time, um, it's definitely helps me at this point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah. Fishing the little natural lakes around the Twin Cities and fishing jig worms and stuff like, yeah, it's good to know. But like that doesn't translate to Gunnersville and uh, Sandy no. Cooper and Lake Fork and things like that. No, no. Maybe Champlain a little bit, but that's about yeah. it. Um, yeah. So for you guys that like, if you want to learn more about Bob's backstory, we went much more in depth last time. So like, if, if you enjoy Bob tonight, you think he's cool, you want to learn more about him, I encourage you. I'll put a link in the description or you can just search Bob on my channel or on Facebook and uh, you can get a much deeper dive. We, we covered a lot of that last time I was on. Dan's checking in. What's up, Dan? Long hey, Dan. How's it going? I haven't seen Dan in years. <clears throat> yeah. I don't know. Does he even fish anymore, Dan? I think I think he fishes some. I don't know if he fishes tournaments, but I think he still fishes some. 
Yeah, you can hit stuff anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, Chad wants to know what's your favorite pool. <clears throat> um, man, I'd have to say, man, it's hard to choose. I like four, five A, and then the lacrosse pool. But the one I probably spent the most time on is Pool Four out of Wabasha. Like if I'm gonna just go for fun, I'll go down to Pool Four. Uh, and I actually fished around Red Wing a little bit last year during um, kind of our months off, and actually had a lot of fun around Red Wing too. Um, some good fishing around there that I don't think gets touched a lot. Yeah, I think you can catch some good fish, but I don't think it, it would hold up to like tournament pressure. If right, getting beat on. Yeah, if you're like going out of Wabasha, and you could run up there and be like a, one of only a few boats, you might do well. But I don't think it would do well with a number of boats up there. No, I think I think five A is my favorite. Yeah, five A is cool. There's just so much good backwater there; it's fun. I don't know. You should probably ask Iron Man and, and, and ask him what he thinks. <laughs> he, what Iron Man thinks of being the second most famous, right? Uh, what it's like is you get asked everywhere you go if you're a junior or not. So that's kind of <laughs> what it's like. Like pretty much every time I show my ID at the airport or pay for something with an ATM at, or a credit card, you kind of get the question. So it's fine, though. Because, like, I guess on your – are you Robert? On your yeah okay. yeah 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 I am, but one of my uh, well my now fiance her uh, um, little nephew he's into kind of the superheroes so I get to play Iron Man every so often so that's kind of cool. It's not a bad deal. <laughs> Have you ever dressed up as Iron Man for Halloween? Hard hitting. No, question. no, but I did for his birthday. There you so, go. Yeah. <laughs> nice. yeah. um, all right so let's talk about the year in hand uh so you're 50th in points right now i think right yeah right around there as of now the classic line is 40 you're 33 points back you've got what are we seven of nine events done is that right yep yep so how would you grade uh, your first seven events of your sophomore season? Um, that's a good question. I've never thought about putting a grade on it. Um, I would have to say like a B, maybe a B minus, B, B minus. Um, I feel like if I look at every day that I've competed so far this year on the elites, because when you really break it down to that, like every day is so crucial. We've fished seven tournaments. Um, I've made three cuts. I've bombed two events and I've barely missed the cut in two events. And those two bombs I had decent first days where I was like right around the cut line and then day two were terrible. Like those, those two tournaments and those two day twos were probably my two worst days of the season. Every other day that I've competed, I feel like I've kind of been in the game. Um, I kind of know what's going on. Like the three that I made cuts in, I was happy with those tournaments. Um, Pickwick, I, just didn't execute on the third or second day, but had the bites to make the cut. 
and then Gunnersville, I missed the cut by four ounces. Um, so I feel like I had a really good shot to make five cuts out of seven so far this year. Um, and I really feel like I've had two bad days, which is kind of amazing. You like, obviously day two at Pickwick and day two at Gunnersville weren't ideal, but I feel like I wasn't that far off the mark. I put myself in position to make the cut. Um, and just, I didn't, didn't get it done, but day two in Florida and day two on Lake Fork were just brutal. Like I just didn't, I made the wrong decision on where to go and where I went. I never got settled in and I just didn't make it happen. Um, but every other event this year, I feel like I'm making better decisions and fishing better than I did last year. Um, I feel more comfortable and like feel more positive going into the tournaments. Um, I've, feel like I've done a better job of practicing this year and trying to cover more water and be confident that I'm not going to spread myself too thin in the tournament. Cause that was always my fear in the past was I was almost too afraid to cover a lot of water in fear that I would spread myself too thin in the tournament, if that kind of makes sense. Mm -hmm. um, Cause if I look back at all my best finishes that I've had in the opens and the elites, it's always when I pick up small, you know, in general, these lakes is, you know, five to 10 mile stretch. And if I can break that down, that's usually when I do my best. Um, and so I've, I've tried to get better at covering more water, but still being able to narrow it down during the tournament and be better about kind of, getting a feel for a lot more patterns than just a couple, I guess. Yeah, for sure. <clears throat> that's cool. Um, kind of set myself up for day threes too. Like that's not something I'm used to fishing day, you know, three day tournaments because it's one thing like last year on the St. Lawrence was the first cut I made. And then I had nothing to go to on the third day and I just bombed out and finished, you know, at the bottom of the cut. Whereas this year I've tried to really get better at finding more things for even if I do make day three, then you can kind of maybe try and make a move to, you know, not finish at the bottom of the, whatever the cut is, 40, 50 guys. Yeah, totally. And, and, and honestly, like the bar is moving, right? Like the field is getting better. So like, yeah. even when you're getting better, you need to be getting better at a higher rate than the field, right? Yeah. Because uh, most of these guys are also learning. <clears throat> um, yeah, the field's getting stronger. Like the field didn't get worse when Scott Martin and Jason Christie and Greg Hackney, and, you know what I mean? Like and right. Ryan New and like all these guys joined the tour, right? And it looks like now you're going to have Jason Prosnick and you're going to have you know who to do to do right these other guys that are going to you yeah. know you know, come in and so like the bar's going to keep going up. So you yeah. need to like uh, keep your game on the you know on the incline as well, right? Yeah, no, a hundred percent. I mean, the field, the field's going to be next year. If I'm fortunate to fish next year, it'll be as strong as a field as I've competed against. So yeah, you're, you're dead on. Interesting question from Bo. Do you think fishing for points is different than fishing for the win for you? Um, man, I mean, I haven't really changed my style or approach i guess going all the way back to fishing local stuff when you're trying to win you know tournaments locally um but you definitely 
you definitely like each day is under more of a microscope than it used to be when you're just fishing one day tournaments or like a two day, you know, a St. Jude deal, you know, back home here, you're definitely uh, making sure that you're taking care of business each and every competition day and not, you know, making sure that you, I haven't done it, but making sure that you're trying to get a limit every day, no matter what size, if you, they always, the more you talk to guys, I mean, if you catch a limit every day that you compete on the elite series, you will probably make the classic um, because it's just, it, there's usually two or three tournaments that are really tough throughout the year. And if you, you know, catch a limit, like you look at Fort Loudon and the Sabine river, for example, um, you know, I weighed in, I think 14 out of 15 on Fort Loudon and had a top 15 finish. And there were a lot of guys that didn't weigh in limits that week. So it's not so much a, a bigger deal like when we go up north, uh, you know, when, when it's a slug fest and everybody's catching limits. But those grinder ones, if you can catch a limit in those plus the slug fest, then you're probably going to make the classic. Yeah, for sure. Um, I mean, do you, do you think when you like so last year at Gunnersville, where I think you finished sixth or seventh, and this year at Neely Henry, where you finished sixth or seventh. Mm-hmm. Did you really feel like you were in either one of those? You really were like close to making a charge to the win, or? Uh, so at Gunnersville, I and, and I guess follow up. Did you do anything different on the final day to maybe yeah. give yourself a shot? I guess. Yeah. <clears throat> so on at Gunnersville, I honestly didn't really think I had a shot going into the last day. Um. However, I had two bites that day that I didn't land that if I would have landed, I don't know if I would have won it, but I would have been close. Mm-hmm. Um, one bite I lost, punching a mat, and one I don't even know if you could consider it a bite, but it was a frog fish and like a six or seven, my frog was like here and a six and seven pounder just came up right behind it and missed my frog. And you could just see its whole head come out of the water and just miss it. It wasn't like one of those toilet flushes is one of those like slurp. And um, so I think I had the area to maybe make a run at it. Seth, Seth Bider and I were sharing that area the whole tournament. And I think if either one of us would have had it to ourselves, we, you know, either one of us could have made a, a run at winning that thing. Um, and then at Neely, uh, I actually thought I had a chance to win that one going into the last day. Um, I actually got beat to that stretch on the fourth day that I caught him really good on, on day three. And if you watch the coverage, the person that started there whacked him pretty good right away in the morning. Um, and even if I were <laughs> what he had, <laughs> yeah. So, so I won't get into it, but um, basically if I would have weighed in what he had, I still went to won the tournament, but it would have given me a good start and maybe some momentum to then maybe go flip up a good fish or two. But um you know, the West had a great last day. Yeah. I would have really had to catch him. Um, but going into that, not knowing what West was going to have, you know, I thought, yeah, I had a legit chance to win it. But I guess to answer your second question, I really didn't – Gunnersville, I didn't do anything different. I just went to the same areas I'd been in. Um, Neely, I kind of kept with the same adjustments that I made on day three. 
and um, and then ran some of my flip and stuff later in the day too. But I really didn't do anything too different on Neely because I thought I had a, I thought I had the areas maybe to try and win that thing. Mm-hmm. But cool. it's cool when you're in that position. You just it doesn't happen very often, so um, it's kind of fun when it does. Obviously. Yeah, I feel like both of those day fours or day like. In both those tournaments, they were, I don't remember if it was on day three or day four, you had like some early bites mm-hmm. in some of those tournaments. So if you're watching Bassmaster Live, you at least had your name up like at the top for a yeah. while. <laughs> right. Yeah, and I didn't realize day three, obviously when we're on the water on Neely Henry, day three, I didn't know I was leading it for that long. Um, yeah. It's just weird. Looking at the live coverage, I just can't believe the timing, like how it just worked out like that being that other guys were fishing that stretch before me that morning. I don't know if those fish just pulled up or what, but I got pretty lucky to get on that stretch on the third day. Nice. So you said watching, so you rewatch some of the live coverage. Do you always rewatch it? Do you only rewatch no, it you're on I, it? Like what? I don't, but I was kind of curious who had all been fishing that stretch throughout the tournament. Sure. So that's why I went back and watched it. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Oh, nice. Uh, what's up, Jay? Um, so, yeah, so we talked about you being 50th and yeah. Lopper's right above you, Chris Seldane's right below you. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're 33 points back. So I think we kind of talked and like doing the math, you kind of need, I don't know, two top 30 ish finishes, give or take, yeah, in the last two tournaments right. uh, yeah. to make the classic. Um, what, what's your confidence level going up north? Like, what are you thinking? What are you feeling? Are you excited? Well, what's what's going through your head? Yeah, I'm actually more excited than nervous. Um, like last year, going into Fork when I was on the bubble to make the classic, I was actually a lot more nervous just because I didn't know what to expect. Um, but going up to Champlain and the St. Lawrence, I have we were there last year. Um, we're going to be there a little earlier this year, so that'll be interesting to see kind of how far along, uh, at least on Champlain. Those smallmouth, they should be done spawning for the most part, but it'll be real interesting to see what kind of shape they're in, like if they're real skinny rails and they don't weigh anything, or if that'll be interesting how that plays out. But um, no, I'm, I'm actually really excited. Last year, I had a terrible first day on Champlain, and then had a good, I think I should have weighed 19 pounds, but I had two dead fish day two last year on Champlain. So I, I feel comfortable there. It's about as close to what we are used to back here um, in Minnesota, outside of the fact it's just massive. It's so big. Um, and then the St. Lawrence, I uh, had an okay tournament there last year. Good first two days and pretty bad third day. Made the cut. Um, and we're going out of Waddington this year, which is like 60 miles away from where Clayton is, where we went out of last year. So I might be fishing all new water <clears throat> this year. Um, but at least I'll kind of know what to expect. And, um, that place is cool. It's like, if it's clear, obviously. And so I've fished Malax quite a bit over the years. And it kind of fish the shallow fish kind of fish like Malax do, mm-hmm. um, 
but the deep water current deal is like nothing I've ever done before. And I've fished the Mississippi a lot, but that's like, you know, eight foot or less for the most part, whereas St. Lawrence here, you can see bottom on a clear, calm day in 20 feet of water. Um, not like clear, but you can tell that's the bottom. Um, right. So it's a different deal than the Mississippi when you're offshore drifting and stuff. But um, yeah, I'm excited about it. I Honestly, ever since I left both of those places last year, I've probably thought more about those two places than any other place we've been just kind of racking my brain on how I can generate more bites or approach it differently. And, um, some of those shallow fish on the St. Lawrence were, they'd get real conditioned to kind of what you were throwing. So I've just kind of thought about maybe different ideas of how to get some of those fish to bite. So yeah, I'm excited to get back up there. Nice. I would assume Canada's still off limits with them extending it another month at this point. As of right now, is did they extend it another month? I didn't even know that. I thought I heard that like okay. on the radio or something. Yeah, if that's the case, then it'll probably be off limits. And as of right now, if it stays off limits, they're going to let us go out into the lake. But that's going to be like a 60-mile run rather than a 10-mile run like it was last year. Or a 70. <laughs> yeah, more like 70 by the time you get out to where you're going in the lake. But the cool thing about um, this year on the St. Lawrence, it's kind of like what they used to do in Texas Fest is it's a win and you're in for the classic. So so which one is that way? The St. Lawrence, the last okay. one. So any guy that's not in the realm of possibility of making the classic can try and win that tournament and get in. So that creates an interesting dynamic with the lake being so far away. Um, you know, you might see some guys way down in the standings make that long run if the weather uh, is decent for that run, um, being that they could win it and still qualify for the classic. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. That'd be kind of cool. Yeah, that'll be interesting. <clears throat> Should make for some good, uh, good drama on the, the yeah. final live event. Right. And I think that's probably what they're going for, but it's good for the anglers too. Yeah, I think, you know, give them the options to spread out and do some things. Yeah. Uh, last year on Champlain, did you fish brown, green, mix it up? Like, what was your strategy? So, um, so Smalley's around here, I've like outside of Malax, or like the, I've always feel like I've been burned by smallmouth in tournaments. So, if I can fish for largemouth, that's what I like to fish for generally. And so, that's kind of what I focus more of my practice on. Outside of like the last day of practice, like last half of the day, I kind of discovered how actual like easy the smallmouth were, were to catch out there um, and how reliable they could be. Mm -hmm. But day one, so day one I started on smallies and it just wasn't happening. I don't know if you watched any of the coverage, but a lot of guys kind of struggled on smallies on day one. And then I went and fished largemouth and filled out a small limit of largemouth. Um and then caught like one big smallmouth on a stretch that I had never fished before in practice. And that was like almost four pounder, but I still only had like 14 pounds of mainly largemouth the first day. So day two, I just was told myself I was going to fish completely different. And I started on that stretch with a jerk bait and had like 15 pounds in the first hour. Um, 
And then I went and flipped docks and caught like a four pound largemouth. And then I went to another stretch with a jerk bait and caught a four pound small. It was just one of those days where everything was kind of just rolling. Yeah. Um, so day two is definitely more brown fish and day one was more largemouth. Um, that's why I say I'm kind of curious what stage these smallies are going to be in. Because last year we were, you know, late July, early August to the point where those smallmouth, like the ones Polnick were catching were really healthy and, you know, fat and kind of had their summer, early fall weight. Um, you just, I mean, smallmouth, right, coming off the spawn, you know, you you might still get some pretty decent ones, but sometimes they can just be so skinny. So it'd be real interesting to see what kind of shape they're in. Yeah, you definitely hear the rumblings that they think it's going to lean a little more green than it did last year. But we'll yeah, see. yeah. If you look at like the FLW events when they're there in June, it seems like the you know large mouth or late June, not like around the spawn June, but like when um, Casey Scanlon won down in Thai, that was like late June, and that was all large mouth. Yeah, I mean, it was really weird how little Ty played when you guys were there. Really interesting. And I think last year the water was extremely low. And, like, from talking to other guys, it's as low as they had ever seen it up there. And when Casey won, the water was high, and there was a lot of current down in Ty. Mm-hmm. Whereas last year, I think there was, like, hardly any. And I think that's why Ty didn't play as much last year, it seemed like. Interesting. So let's see what the water levels are like too. Cool. So, uh, did you, you, I assume you attended and worked the classic? Yeah. So I actually had kind of a unique, um, it was a fun experience. St. Croix, um, got a boat for me and Jesse Wiggins to ride around in. Mm-hmm. And we had a camera guy with us, and we followed Jesse's brother, uh, Jordan Wiggins, and then Pat Schlopper. Yeah. So we got to be on the water, actually, instead of being at the ex- – I, I was at the expo for a little bit Saturday afternoon, but it was a really cool experience um, outside of the fact I wasn't fishing in it. kind of sucked, <laughs> but if there was any – like I would have rather been on the boat following them and kind of getting a feel for how the tournament was playing out. Um, than, you know, being at the expo, but it was fun. It was a, I've talked to a couple people about it, how it's real interesting when you're a spectator and you're not in the tournament, how you just look at things a little differently. Um, like you just see things that maybe the anglers aren't seeing because they're so dialed into what they found in practice and, um, kind of gave me a little bit different perspective that I'm maybe hoping to use going forward. Just. I try and keep an open mind as best as I can, but it really hit home when I was just watching those guys fish. Hmm, interesting. Yeah. Had you been to a classic before as a spectator? Nope, never had been. So nice. that part was kind of cool, actually. Uh, so did you do you doing anything cool for your, the break? You're at home, you're doing some fishing, you're relaxing. What, what's the game plan before you go north? Like, what are you doing with your time? Um, I, I still have a job back home, so I'm working here. Um, and then I've had some guide trips just for, uh, some of the sponsors that I work with, just taking out some of their clients. Mm-hmm. I have another one on Saturday, actually down on the river. I haven't been there yet this year. So 
Careful. I'm going to head down there and um, <laughs> scout it out. We'll see. Hopefully, every I'm hoping all the wing dams aren't sticking up out of the water or something that's so low. It's supposed um, to be record low, but but um, yeah. So I'm trying to just kind of stay sharp. I was um, I'm getting married this fall, so there's been some wedding planning going on and all that sort of fun stuff. But trying to like stay on bodies of water that will prepare me for Champlain and the St. Lawrence, like up north, I've been to a few clear smallmouth bodies of water and just pretty much just fish and shout, like not on bed smallmouth, but like throwing little swim baits or spy baits or, um, you know, just trying to kind of get back in that groove of, of fish and smallies. And then for largemouth, I've just been flipping a lot of milfoil trying to get ready for Champlain. I don't know what's the, what the grass is going to be like when we're out there, being that we're there earlier. But, um, yeah, it's like any other sport. You just want to be staying on the water as much as you can and stay sharp. Yeah, I haven't tapped into that. I'm kind of licking my chops to find a good flipping bite. I've kind of like hit just a little piece of it here and there, but I'm waiting to get on like a good flipping bite. A good one. Yeah. I had a guide trip the other day and we were mainly catching them like on drop shot and Nico and jig worm with those guys. But then after I dropped them off, I went and flipped some milfoil and caught them pretty decent. I'm trying, I'm, I'm messing around with like that fluorocarbon to braid leader deal i've never really done that in the past but the more i think about it for that application it just seems to be the best option um because i've i've done the straight braid deal which i think if the grass is thick enough and the bite's good enough that you can get away with that but on pressured bodies of water it seems like you probably get some more bites on fluorocarbon. So just trying to get a little more confidence in that setup because I haven't done a lot of it in the past. Yeah. Are you an FGE, Alberto? Um, yeah, I'm like literally just in the phases of learning the FGE. And <laughs> I've done it in the past and didn't put the time in to learn it. And now in the last month, I've put the time in and I can tie it now and have after catching a bunch of fish doing it, I have confidence doing it, but um, I can't get that. Uh, like I've always been a back-to-back uni guy. I've just never had that fail. And then I tried the, I think it's the Alberto and that one, like it slips out on me like 20% of the time for some reason. So I don't know if I'm tying it wrong, but I just don't have confidence in it. So yeah, we're going it's a whole different ball game to tie a casting flipping knot than a spinning rod knot. Like I have no issues on my spinning rods, but mm-hmm. I don't have the confidence on the big line and the big hook sets. Like yeah. I, I didn't think I would either. Um, but in the last couple of weeks I've done it more and I've, I've yet to have it slip out on me. So I feel I bet them, yeah, more, yeah. I don't know if it's slipping or breaking or cutting in or breaking, whatnot, but like, yeah. yeah. So I, that, that's something I still need to work on is my, my big, not, my big line, not game. Yeah. I kind of put it off forever and I was like, you know what? I need to like buckle down and learn this thing and like, don't just make excuses that it's too hard to try, you know, to tie. So I've just, in the last, pretty much since I've been home in the last month or so, I've, learned it 
did you make any rod adjustments or using the same rod that you were doing? So I am using more of a medium heavy yeah. um, with that braid. So like if I'm, I used to use like a seven, four heavy with 20 pound fluorocarbon if I was yeah. doing that. And now I went to a seven, four medium heavy. And that seems to be about right. Um, part of my problem is I haven't made any rod adjustments. So I think I might be sure. just like, and not like not changing my rod and not making any adjustment on my hook set yet. <laughs> yeah. It's a different, it is a different hook set. Like it's more of like a reel down and not so much a slack line sort of deal. It's, um, it's just like a, when, when I, I remember switching over to braid on my spinning rods and it became a, uh, you know, a different hook set, but now it's like second nature. Right. So, but it is interesting how many fish are down in that stuff. Cause I always used to be like a weed line or weed edge guy. And I would throw, yeah. throw a Texas rig. Like I'd throw a jig worm almost, you know, cast it out, kind of work it back. But it's amazing how many fish are actually down in that stuff in like, you know, four to 10 foot of water. It's yeah, like in I, I always I'd be the same way. Like I could never like build confidence. I would try it for a little bit, try it for a little bit, and I wouldn't find him and I wouldn't find him. I'd catch one here, catch one there. Mm -hmm. But once you do it and you run into the school when they're mm -hmm. tightly packed in that stuff and you get yeah. the taste of it three, four, five times, then like yeah. you have the confidence to just hunt them out and just sniff them out and it, it's a game changer. Like yeah. yeah. And it was a big that's like how the largemouth set up on uh champlain last year more so than on the edge and it kind of exposed me to the fact that like that was somewhat of a hole in my game like i could do it but i wasn't like i don't know i just didn't feel like i had the right setup or like you said the confidence to be able to sniff them out and so i've tried to really get better at that you know later last summer and now this year back home Yeah, I'm excited. <clears throat> got a little junior high school tournament on Saturday. Might be able to get on a little flipping bite. We'll see. Yeah. If we can find some milfoil on that lake. Sure. What was that last question? I didn't see it. Or maybe it wasn't uh, a question. Might have just been a comment. Hmm. What's up, Dustin? Out on the bay? That should be fun. <clears throat> Hope you get out. That's a good question. What are the what do you think the best conditions are for flipping milfoil? Um, I think calm, sunny conditions. Like when you can see those holes and you can see the high spots in the milfoil, that's kind of what you're looking for. Um, if you know there's gravel or rock down below it, obviously that's you know that's better. But for the time that I've spent doing it and trying to learn how to get better at it. It seems like when you can find those holes or like the real thick patches that stand up just a little bit higher than everything else, a lot of times that seems to be where they're at. And when the wind's blowing or it's overcast, you just can't see that as well. And I don't think the fish set up in there as, as well. Yeah. Um, so I think, I think like fishing on the weed edge is almost better when there's a little wind blowing in to those areas. But when you, got calm sunny conditions i think those fish kind of suck up into the grass a little bit more and that's when that bite becomes better yeah or even just a tight like a little breeze 
sure where it doesn't yeah. affect your sight yeah you want to flip but gives mm-hmm. you just a little bit of stealth and gives you a little sure. bit of camo i think is probably ideal like sure four to eight mile now <laughs> i don't know like four to six yeah. like nice mm-hmm. light breeze um yeah sun definitely helps not to say you can't catch them on cloudy days or, or windy days um right and if you know the spots already and you have those flipping holes pegged that makes it a little easier to run your dots and flip in there mm-hmm. um yeah i'd agree but, yeah. but it and anything i think other thing i've learned is it doesn't have to be milfoil no it literally can just be the best grass in the lake or the area like i'm starting to catch fish in some really what I would call trashy looking grass, but it's yeah. the best trashy grass around, if that makes yeah. sense. 100%. I've noticed that already this year. I mean, I caught them really good out of pond weed doing it this mm-hmm. year. And like eight feet of water, it was the tallest pond weed in the area, and they were just loaded in it. And then up north, I caught them in cabbage, like, I, which I know is kind of a thing on some lakes, but on this particular lake, I didn't know they would get it in it like that but they were yeah i went to one lake and uh i was looking for milfoil and didn't have it and i just started flipping what was in front of me and found a school of 16 to 19 inches and i was like mm-hmm. yeah it's good fun. luck brennan uh what's your go-to bait to flip in the milfoil um well i mean up here i flip a craw tube quite a bit um I actually, where was it? Um, I started flipping that spicy beaver. Well, that was on Neely, but that wasn't really milfoil. Um, Gunners, Gunnersville, I was doing that a little bit, actually, with mm-hmm. a spicy beaver. Um, I think it'll really slow down a weight. It does. Yeah. Yeah. Which, you know, with that flipping bite, may not always be the best you might have to up your weight size because that can be definitely more of a reaction bite um but man it's hard to beat a craw tube up here anyways and it seems like they bite it wherever there's grass they bite it out in new york and mm-hmm. i think you know gunnersville they they eat it down there but um you know any bait with a little more bulk to it I've been on a big D-bomb kick lately. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and then uh, I kind of – I played around with that Maxent uh, creature hog last weekend, and I caught a monster. Uh-huh. Really? Yeah. Huh. It doesn't look like much, but I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Could be something I mean, to play around with if you were fishing in pressured areas and, like, you know, I don't know. Yeah, but, for uh, sure. That's... For sure. Yeah, if you're letting uh, it stop. But otherwise, if the bite's good, uh, I got to – actually, they're be coming out soon, but for a while I've been flipping this uh, tungsten Bastec three-quarter ounce, one-ounce grass jig. Really? Coming out and, like, putting a baby D-bomb on that. It's got a little okay. screw lock on it. And when it's good and they're biting, you mm-hmm. can't beat that jig because, like, Get you throw thing. in there, catch them, yank on them, take them off that bait screw locked on it. You just, you're, I mean, you're not fixing craw tubes sure. or D-bombs. You're just like, boom, boom, boom. Like you're so much more efficient. So totally. Yeah. Cause that craw tube, you can, you can get to fighting it constantly, like falling down your hook and re redoing it. Um, yeah. So that had have more of like a, like a 
grass head on it, I guess. Versus yeah, it's, it, it looks a little bit like a <clears throat> three quarter ounce tungsten head. Like, yeah. I see. Cool. Yeah. If it wasn't buried, I'd get it out. Yeah. But, um, any tips for a Wisconsin kid going to Hartwell, hmm. the national high school tournament? Have you ever been to Hartwell? Well, you fished no. The last, no, that was the year before they went there. Have you fished it? I did fish like one afternoon at Hartwell a long time ago in the fall before okay. I had a weekend series national championship on Clark's Hill. So, oh. um, but yeah. I would think if I'm a northern angler going to Hartwell this time of year, I'd put my money on largemouth chasing brim beds. Yeah, seriously. That's probably going on down there. So like top water and little prop baits, swim jig. Yeah. Maybe a frog. Maybe a wacky rig. Yeah. yeah. Nico's. Yeah. Find those areas. They got uh spend your practice driving around looking for brim beds, looking for wolf packs, and run those during the tournaments. You know, make those long casts to those areas. Um, yeah. and, and maybe in the morning, see if you can find a a schooling right. hump shoal point thing that you can start on. Yeah. And then during the day, run those brim beds. That's yeah, that's probably a really good plan. Yeah. Ooh, Marion. Do you like Marion, Bob? Um, I've had my days where I like Marion, but I haven't been there in probably eight to ten years. You ain't missing much. I don't know. I used to fish all those Lakeville lakes quite a bit growing up. Um, I think the first time we ever met was on Marion, I think. Yeah, yeah. I've had good days out there. I've, you know, I've, I know you've had good days out there too and good tournaments out there. But, uh, yeah, it's – I don't know. I don't know how it is now, but it, it had decent fish in it for a while. But it's, it's still got big ones. Like there was a Tuesday night of there two weeks ago and five fish for 19 pounds. Yeah. So they're in there. Sometimes they can just be a little stubborn, it seems. But like. then like second was 16 and like third place was like 11. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. just like it's turned into such a drop shot jigworm lake. It's just okay. like, ugh. yeah. Ugh. Yeah, that's kind of what I remember it being too outside of the spring. What's up, Carl? Hey, Carl. Carl's a good old club buddy of mine. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Man. I like the black and I like the brown and white in certain situations, but I'm usually yeah. going to throw a black or a brown. Yeah. Most of the time. And then if yeah. you're not eating it, I'll try a white. Or if I know there's a lot of shad in the area or something, I'll throw a white. But yeah, I like black, brown, and then that frog color that has more of a white or yellow belly on it. From um, yeah, yeah, and it's. I mean, if it's, I don't even know if it matters, but if it's cloudy, I'm pretty much always throwing black, and if it's sunny, I'm pretty much always throwing that yellow or white belly with or the brown. And honestly, it's probably a confidence thing. I don't know if it really matters a lot. Outside of like the shad deal that you're talking about, I think then it might matter some. Yeah, like every once in a while, like on the river, you'll see them like chasing shad through the pads yeah. or something. And I'm like, all right, I'm gonna throw white then. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, but man, they were, oh man, it was such a good frog bite this last weekend. Like, yeah. I think, in, big I think in three days, one fish missed my frog. Oh man. Like they were just like, 
in golf. And- like just like <laughs> just everyone was like ah like gagging on it. Like that's awesome. That's amazing. I wasn't actually- like you know how like leech they like 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 a killer whale trying to eat a seal. They like blow up out of the like these ones would just come up and just, like, just they would I mean it would like they'd hit it, but they were just like precise and they mm-hmm. yeah it was. I almost think size of frog matters more than color in a lot of instances. Like I tend to throw a smaller frog in open water and like the regular bronze eye size um, in like, you know, sparse cover. And then when you're throwing across a big mat, I actually like the bigger terminator frog. It just moves more water. So I think frog size might matter a little more than color at times. I think a lot of people sleep on that Terminator frog. It's a pretty good frog. It is. Yeah. And the little one's good in open water. Um, I mainly flip fluoro in like the the non-matagrass. And then the matagrass I throw straight braid. Yeah. And I'm I know I need I need to work on that braid to floral thing, like we were talking about earlier. Yeah. I'm the same way as Rich outside of I am just kind of started to do the braid to floral deal only when I'm like flipping into submerged grass. That's not topped out. If I'm fishing the weed edge, I still kind of like straight fluorocarbon. Nice. What's up BP? Glad you can make it. What else is I? So, have you seen the new? Have you got your hands on? Have you been able to see the new HB Live Hummingbird Live? Yeah, so I actually have it on my boat. I got it put on. What is it? Wednesday. I I got it on Monday this week, and I actually went out yesterday evening and messed around with it for a little bit. I still have a lot to learn with it. I've never had a Garmin. Mm-hmm. Um, or the Lawrence version. So that was the first, and I've never been in somebody else's boat that's had it either. So um, it's all new to me. So I still have a lot to learn. And I don't, so to like, to ask like, how does it compare? I have no clue. Like, I don't know if it's better or worse or equivalent. I'm not, I really don't know. So Maybe I should, I'll be back on in like October and then you yeah. will report on the HB live. Right. Yeah, I mean, I could see my bait on it, but I have some, I must have to get it dialed in more because I couldn't see my bait like further out than like 40 feet or something like that. So there's got to be, or is that a, a long, see, I don't even know. Is that a long ways to be I seen? I feel like that is. Uh, if I were you, I would, uh, Jacob Wheeler, maybe like three months ago, did a video where he was comparing the Garmin to the Lowrance. And like yeah. doing a long cast, had them both set up. You know, this is this plug on this yeah. pound line, exact setup. And I feel like he was in that like 40 ish range is where he could see his bait. So, yeah, I watched that video. I would think that might give you a lot of insight to what to like maybe explain. Yeah. And I've watched some of the bass tank stuff that's out yeah. there, those guys down in Oklahoma. And they were saying like 35 to 40 is usually where they set it. Mm-hmm. So maybe I was just casting beyond what those things can actually see. I don't know. But I could see it when it was like 25 or in. But it's cool. I mean, you can – it's going to 
there's such a fine line with it, like between spending too much time trying to catch fish you can see that aren't going to bite versus just, you know, moving along. So, yeah, that would be really weary mm-hmm. about fishing it on exactly. <laughs> like without yeah. you, depending on how much time you get to use it between now and when you get out there. Yeah. Um, that's what it could, I, I it could be amazing and it could really be a distraction. I yeah, I had the same thoughts after spending three hours with it yesterday, like to a T. It's like I gotta be careful how you know sucked in I get with this thing. Because you look at like Seth hasn't had it all year and he's clearly done well enough to compete at you know and lead angler of the year without it. Whereas everybody going into this season thought that you needed that to be able to compete for an angler of the year. And he's proven that you don't, um, up to this point anyways. So we'll see if it's different up in smallmouth country, but. But you, you are running mega 360 though, I assume. Yeah. And like, I use that all the time like that. I almost can't live without that now. Um, I mean, that is, that's pretty amazing. Like on Gunnersville, I was fishing brim beds in, you know, eight foot of water that no one could see visually, but I was seeing them on my 360 and that's how I was catching them. Um, I mean, so for stuff like that, it's pretty cool. Yeah. Logan says it has to be dead calm and you have to be right on to see it. Like, huh? It's interesting. Cause that's really like 40 feet is not that far out in front of the boat. If you think about it. Sure. Like only two it's like boats. two legs of your boat. Yeah. 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 To me, I mean, I don't, I, I have a mega 360 on order that I'm still waiting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I've never actually been in a boat like, like Dan had it on his boat, but I, I didn't, he didn't like have it set up or turned on or whatever. So I didn't even use it. And then, yeah, I've been out a few times in live scope, like in Smith Mountain this spring with a guy. And it was pretty mm-hmm. cool, but we also got distracted a lot. And we definitely mm-hmm. caught a few bass and we caught several stripers off of it. Yeah, uh, but uh, yeah. I feel like Champlain's more of a 360 lake, and uh, St. Lawrence is more of a live lake. But that's just yeah, my... yeah. Especially if you're out like on Lake Ontario for sure. Um, but yeah, 360 has its times. Like if you're fishing shallow grass, you know you're not really using it unless you're looking for bare spots in the grass. It can definitely help for that. Mm-hmm. Um, but like on St. Clair last year, I used it a lot. Um, I did use it a lot on Champlain. So there's, it's like anything, it's so situational. Um, but it, it was cool to see Caleb win that last tournament on Gunnersville with like no technology. I mean, basically yeah. just flipping. So that was like a, almost a, you know, a breath of fresh air to see someone just wax everybody and he didn't need hardly any sort of electronics so you can still win without them yeah like i gotta say like i almost made it to the classic with a 959 on the front of my boat last year yeah <laughs> yeah i mean it's you still got to learn how to use it in the situations where it's beneficial it, it's not all it's not just going to make fish jump in your boat that's for sure for sure you got any tips for 360 settings for bow um i mean i so mess with your color palettes, whatever there's everybody's eyes are a little bit different. I think 
So, you know, what color palette might be good for me isn't always the best for the next guy. I think I use the number two or three. It's like one of the amber colors the most. Um, and then just mess with your sensitivity and your contrast, like wherever you go, because every lake is a little bit different for whatever reason. I don't know if there's just like different water clarities make the contrast and sensitivity different, just like with side imaging. So you kind of got to mess with that each day that you're out there. Um, and then take into consideration the depth that you're in to determine kind of how far your target actually is away from you. And what I mean by that is like, if, if you got your ring set out to 80 feet and you're in, and then you got rings, there's like 20, 40, 60, 80. Bob, um, I'm going to be right back. Okay. You got Three minutes, yep. keep it going. <laughs> yep, I'm good. And um, so if you're in 20 foot of water, you've got to minus that from the 80, 80 foot ring. So the first 20 foot ring is just going to be water column, if that makes sense, um, on an 80 foot ring. So if, if you got like a rock pile that's on your 40 foot ring, that's actually only 20 feet from the boat because you – or 20, you're in 20 foot of water. So um, kind of keep that in mind. I don't know if that made sense at all, but to kind of get a better idea what I'm talking about, once you get it, like go up, you know, go to a clear lake where you can maybe see bottom in eight foot of water and find something out in front of you. And you'll kind of see what I mean in terms of how far that actually is. What I've learned is like 20 to 40 feet is actually not as long of a cast as you might think. Um, you know, you, it might show up at 30 feet on your ring and it's just not much of a flip to get out to that distance. Um, so that's really a few things, I guess, that I've learned. Uh, typically, I just keep it on the front half of the overall circle. So it's mainly like shooting out to the side and then anything in front of my boat. So very rarely will I look at the full circle um, I don't really care what's behind me unless I'm maybe, you know, spot locked offshore and I kind of want to see everything around me. So the reason for kind of using that, you know, front half moon is um, and zooming in on that only is you're just going to get a lot more detail um, depending on what size screen you're on. So, yeah, I, I use it a lot. Like, there was one day this year, I, for whatever reason, I, I wasn't thinking clearly and I like didn't flip the switch in my boat to make the 360 work. And I thought my 360 was like broken and I <laughs> was freaking, freaking out. Like I need this to be able to tell what I'm doing. Um, so that kind of really hit home on how much I actually use it. Nice. Yeah, I think, I, don't, I could be wrong, but I think up here in Minnesota, I think 360 is... <clears throat> more useful day in day out but. way more especially when you're fishing grass edges and stuff you can't really see the fish unless they're maybe off the edge with live scope but with 360 right. you can see the bare spot in the grass or the hard spot that's right up next to the edge with 360 and you just can't really you're not going to see that with live scope there you go Bill's giving you a kudos. Ah, yeah. 
Yeah, it took me a while to figure that out. Like I, I discovered that on Ufala last year when we were fishing brush piles. Like I was in 15 foot of water and throwing at a brush pile that, you know, on my map said it was at like the 50 foot ring and I kept going way past it. And it was because I, it was actually not 50 feet away. It was really 35 feet away. So um, that's just one. You don't really notice it when you're in shallow water, but when you're like 10, 15 plus feet deep, you definitely kind of notice that. Nice. Uh, Jay, best time to fish pencil reeds? Uh, early morning, cloudy, or with a breeze? Like, I feel like, I mean, there's exceptions. Well, they'll be in there in high sun and things, but I feel like low light or wind seems to be best. I'd agree with that. They tend to get them into them in the fall a little bit, too. Sure. Like, before it gets real cold, if you're on a lake with a bunch of them, that seems to be a good time of year. And it's almost impossible to have too much wind. Yeah. Like, like other cover seems to, like pads, like a little bit of wind seems to really make them hard to fish. But mm-hmm. it really has to be rolling. Like a pretty good breeze into the reeds can really get them fired up, especially like a lake like Pokegama. Like, yeah. Man. Yeah. And I don't know if this pertains all the, or is like true all the time, but it seems like if you can find a reed bed in a contour, like a deeper contour line that butts mm-hmm. up against one side of that reed bed or one particular stretch of that reed bed, like they'll be, they can be in it all day long. Um, or, you know, that just seems to be the better stretch a lot of times is when there's deep water nearby. Maybe yeah. not. It also depends how deep, if they're deeper reeds, then right. you don't need as much. Like, so right. the low light in the wind definitely helps if those reeds are like two and a half feet or less. But if them reeds are three, four, five feet, you can, yeah, that almost could be better in the high sun. Yeah. All right. We got a St. Croix question. Um, yeah. So I use two specific rods for spinner baits. Um, if I'm, fishing around shallow targets like uh, wood or grass where I'm just making real short underhand casts. I've had this six, six medium fast spinnerbait rod forever. And that's the one. What's that? Pistol grip. Yeah. It's all, I mean, it's almost should be a pistol grip. It's um, that's pretty much what I throw. I, so I find myself using that a lot of times in the spring when you know fish are just moving up to some of that you know rock wood cover up on the bank and then if i'm actually making a a longer cast um with maybe a heavier spinner bait there's actually a seven foot uh i think it's a medium heavy moderate that i like to use um but you could use a you know a seven to a seven four you know somewhat more of a medium heavy moderate or medium action rod for for spinner baits the six six is an avid and that seven foot medium heavy moderate is in their legend tournament bass series one of the blue rods interesting question um hard to say i got two ideas here i think you either go small like 2.8 like kitech swimmer or you show them something big, like a swim bait or a glide bait. Go to the extremes. Like fish, 
like every fish in every pond around here sees like 4,000 spinnerbaits and 4,000 senkos. They get really conditioned to like the same thing. So either go really small or go big. Yeah. Like if you get a windy day, like a big glide bait could be fun out there. Could yeah. be the deal. Yeah. Like, this is a great, this dream smasher is a pond smasher. <laughs> no, that looks good. Cody, go search like pond bass on my channel uh, and you'll see. Um, how do you fish a brush pile without getting stuck? Um, well, so I don't, I didn't grow up fishing brush piles. I don't have a ton of experience doing it. But what I was doing last year on Ufala is just throwing a big Texas rig worm. So you just rig it. You rig it weedless style like you would up here in you know the Midwest when you're fishing grass, and um, you're better off to kind of creep it through there rather than like force your bait through there. If you if you get hung and you really start like you know really start like pulling on it, you're more apt to like dig that bait into the brush or the wood rather than if you just kind of slowly lift and pull it through. Um, that tends to be better. So that's you know with texas rigs i think buddy gross one down there throwing a jig with just a brush guard on it um you know you can real if you know exactly where it is and how tall it is you can reel stuff over the top of it or around it too um yeah. you know you're maybe more apt to get stuck in it doing that but that can be effective if you kind of know how high it is off the bottom yeah, I mean, if you have the privilege of live front-facing sonar and yeah. you can see your bait and you can see the brush pile, you know, then you can, you know, slow roll a spinner bait. You can bring a Kitek. You can do a lot of things just over it where you're just ticking it and not getting really hung up, right? Um, yeah. But, like, shaky heads, super, super popular with brush piles. Mm-hmm. Um, and then drop shots, use, uh, like, a VMC what do they call the one with the little the finesse, uh, Nico. The finesse Nico with the yep. little wire guard and Texas rig it like a trick worm or, or something like that. Um, yep. and, but I think it is a lot has to do with feel, right? Like mm-hmm. don't get too excited, shake it, pull it, feather it through. I mean, you're going to yep. get hung up, right? You're, you're gonna, that's going to happen. You just got to try to reduce it a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. And sometimes you'll think, Especially if you're using tungsten, you'll bump a limb and think it's a fish and you set right into the brush pile. So it happens. It happens. Like you come over a limb, fall in the next one, you're like, Doop. <laughs> Yeah. What's up, JP? Better late than never. <clears throat> All right. I guess it's some really good questions. If you guys got other questions, keep them coming in. Um, oh, so what uh, – I don't know. Is there anything else new for you this year? Anything else? New techniques? New – Things you're dabbling with. Um, uh, I've tried to get a little more confidence in throwing the Nico rig this year. Um, I dabbled with it a little bit last year. Um, I've, I threw it a lot just in the last couple of weeks. And, man, the, you wouldn't think it'd be much more effective than, like, a jig worm or a drop shot. But, man, sometimes it really kind of is. Um, so I've been doing that some. I'm like kind of on purpose to be able to try and throw it more out on Champlain and maybe even the St. Lawrence. Um, trying to get, just continue to get better with that spy bait. I've been throwing that some and like experimenting with colors and 
Um, I've been messing around with some jig heads that have the little propellers on them. You guys yeah. probably know what I'm talking about if you um, fish smallmouth and just different baits behind that, like not necessarily swim baits, um, just to kind of maybe show them a little bit different look. So like more your just your straight tail, like minnow looking stuff. So um, just some of like a, a West Coast dart head type thing. Yeah. 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 So um, just trying different things to maybe give these smallmouth a different look out on the St. Lawrence a little bit. Um, and then, like I was saying earlier, just that braid to fluorocarbon deal that I haven't messed around with much. But um, yeah, just trying. I try and make an effort to just like continually get better every time I go out and like just really kind of hone your craft in a way. And before I qualified for the elites, I would, you're obviously, you know, wanting to get better and learn every time, but I feel like I'm putting more of an emphasis on that now than I ever have in the past. Um, but it, that's what keeps it interesting too. I mean, learning new techniques and kind of st stay sticking with what you're confident in, but at the same time, like trying to get better with whatever else might be coming out. And it's weird. Like, yeah a lot of stuff you try is like doesn't work but you never know when you might come across the next ned rig of sorts you know and it might look stupid but it, sometimes it it works and so just trying to kind of keep experimenting with all different stuff yeah i feel like i need to go back to the nico rig because i had a couple days on gunnersville like two aprils ago and like it was like them fish had never seen it before and mm -hmm. that lake is pressured and like weird throw it like my co-angler was throwing a wacky rig and he couldn't buy a bite and i was just clubbing them like in big ones like it was like <laughs> i don't know what it is about yeah. that thing it's, it's not much different than a texas rig or something like that but yeah when do i pick up a spy bait or a swim bait um well i'm i've only really thrown a spy bait for like the last year or so so i'm not really an expert on it but um honestly i'll try both of them in like the same areas spy bait and a swim bait i feel like when the water is super clear and the fish are maybe a little conditioned like they've had some pressure that spy bait for whatever weird reason can kind of draw them draw them in and make them bite I've caught them in really like slick, calm conditions, and I've caught them in windy conditions with it. Um, with a swim bait, I tend to like a little more wind. So if it's slick, calm, I might pick up that spy bait first and just see if I can't get one to bite. Um, I'd honestly rather catch them on a swim bait because it's just a single hook. That yeah. spy bait, man, it's your landing percentage is tough on that deal. And I think it's because the trebles are so small and you're dealing with small mouth and that's just like a bad recipe sometimes it's interesting some people like i had josh bertrand on a couple mm -hmm. months ago and he yeah. was like man i like never lose fish on the spy bait really? like, there's some people they're like like say it's iffy and other guys are like it's so on so i don't know that's yeah like i had a decent landing percentage on the st lawrence last year but i definitely lost two key fish on it that you know would have helped so but i also got lucky and landed a couple big ones on it 
So what type of spinning rod are you using on these experimental bladed? Yeah. Um, so I think I'm still kind of messing, messing around. The rod I was using the other day was a medium light, extra fast, and it just happened to be one that I had. It was like a 7.3, and it felt like that rod was a little bit light for that head. Like I landed some a lot of fish on it, but I lost some too. So I think like a seven two to seven four, more of a medium action spinning rod might be a little bit better to just drive that hook in, um, like on your initial pull into those fish. I mean, is it, it's is it any different than a rod you throw a a small Kitek or a Largo shad on? <laughs> no, yeah. not really. Like you could, I was throwing a lighter one, so I kind of had to use a spinning rod to be able to cast it, but. I typically like a medium heavy for a Kitek, like a 3.3. Um, like maybe a, every rod company is different, but like more of like a, a softer medium heavy, I guess. Um, especially with smallmouth, I I don't like totally jack them, but I definitely lean into them and like to kind of drive that hook home when, when they bite. I don't know. I definitely don't have a favorite swim bait for spots because I don't fish spots enough. <laughs> um, I've only fished. I've on uh, Smith Lake in the open a couple years ago. I caught quite a few on like a three point three Kitek. Was in practice that bite was really good, and it kind of faded on me in the mm-hmm. tournament. And I ended up catching them on a Ned rig and then a swim jig around docks. But um, yeah, that three point three Kitek or the 2.8. I think when I was I was with Jesse Wiggins, I was saying the other week at the Classic, I think he likes that 2.8 on Smith quite a bit. So that's probably what I'd go with. Nice. Yeah, if you guys haven't, hit that thumbs up in case you forgot. Um, that'd be awesome. Oh. So I am... Um, I think we covered most of the things. I don't know if there's, we'll kind of open it up. If there's any last questions? Um, I don't know. Are you fishing anything? Are you, you sneaking in any? Like, is it all just fun fishing when you're back home? Or are you going to do anything back home tournament wise? Like, any? Probably not this month. Uh, maybe once our season wraps up. If I got some time, you know, later this summer and into the fall, I'd maybe jump into some. But I don't, right now, I have nothing on my schedule. Nice. Bass Cat's running good. It is. Yeah. I actually already sold it. So I'm hoping nice. hoping I'll have a boat into the at least September a little bit, but um, we'll see how soon he, he wants it. But yeah, it's been good. I really like that era. I've, it's the same one I ran last year. And um, it's it fishes a lot like my Pantera 2 did, actually. Um, it's just a little bit longer, but it's real. It's kind of agile and um, like the P2 is. Mm-hmm. So I like it. Well, if your boat list, you can you can give me a call. We can we can, we yeah. can take the classic out. Yeah, there we go. Yeah, I have to give you a shout. Maybe do a little filming. We who in the comments who would want to see Bob out with Hellabass doing a little fishing video and, and ripping on some some bass. Yeah, especially like September, October, that'd be fun. Bob ain't afraid to put a jig on and go no. flip some docks and trees. He ain't afraid. 
Oh, that's like my favorite thing. Yeah. Nice. <clears throat> well, cool, dude. Appreciate you coming on. Yeah. Uh, thanks for having me. Yeah, this has been awesome. Uh, if you guys came in late, uh, make sure you watch the replay. Uh, if you prefer to listen, you can catch it uh, uh, on the podcast version. Just search Hellabass in your favorite podcast. Ask John Wood said he'd watch it. Um, and uh, yeah, awesome. make sure you support Omnia, support Arsenal Fishing. The codes are down below. Uh, you know, check out you know a lot of great stuff from Rapla and companies that uh, Bob works with at Omnia Fishing that you can tap into. Yeah, uh, I don't know any other shout outs, Bob. I don't think so. Um, no, thanks for having me on. Like Rich said, go check out Omnia, all the good stuff they got. I saw you said they had some flatworms in now, so they're probably sold out. All should, we, should we do a live check-in on the flatworms <laughs> if they're sold out? I did share it on my story, so let's see. I'm kind of sold curious. out. You guys missed it. They're sold out. All they're right. sold out. Well. Well, they're not there anymore, but I'm sure they'll be back soon. So if you want, you follow Hellabass on Instagram because I watch for these kind of things on uh, Omnia. And when there's good stuff, like when they get the right bag drafts in, or they get flatworms, or they get cool stuff in, usually share it out of my story uh, and let you guys know. Um, but rule number one is Hellabass always gets his before he shares the story out. <laughs> yeah. well, I ordered a couple packs for myself before I shared. There the story. you go. That was smart. Yeah, yeah. Go check them out, guys. Those guys are awesome over at Omnia. They do a good job, and they got some good stuff there. Yeah. Well, as always, guys, uh, remember to like, subscribe to the channel. We're here to help you catch more big bass and suck less. Thanks, guys. You ready? Showtime on May third. Summer starts with the Fall Guy. We do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yeah. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. As always, thanks to all of you that hung in till the end of this podcast. This has been another episode of Hellabass Bass Fishing Podcast Experience. Please consider sharing this with any of your bass and buddies and friends. This is the best way for podcasts to grow is through word of mouth. Also, don't forget to search Hellabass on Instagram, YouTube, Twitter, or just about anywhere else so that we can connect in more ways. As always, here to help you catch more bass and suck less.